Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Paul says, pray for us in Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, for we trust to have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Pray for us we'll have a good conscience. Pray for us that we can live honestly. The good conscience comes from an honest life. And Paul said in, in uh, Acts 23.1, Acts 23.1, and Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, these were his enemies, by the way, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Oh boy, wouldn't we all like to be able to say that? A good conscience is not something that is floated into. It takes vigilance to constantly be watching And in Acts 24, 16, he talked about that, Paul, when he said, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscious void of offense toward God and toward men. Exercise, hard work, takes work, hard work. Now, Jacob makes a very strange proclamation in verse 32 when he said, with whomsoever thou findest thy God, let him not live. It's very strange. Of course, Jacob doesn't know, as as it's pointed out here, that Rachel has stolen the gods. But Jacob's words are very important. And you got to look carefully at what Jacob said. Did Jacob say, whosoever has thy gods, let him not live? Did he say that? That's kind of an easy question. Okay, good answer. Right, no. What did he say? Whoever thou findest, whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Not so whosoever has thy gods, let him not live, but whosoever thou findest thy gods, with whom thou findest thy gods. See, what's the difference between whosoever has your gods, let him not live, and whosoever you find your gods, let him not live? It's all in the word find. When it is found out, that your gods were stolen by this person, then don't let that person live. Not when, not now, but when they're found. See, according to what Jacob said, when was the person who had Jacob, Laban's gods, not supposed to live? When he was found out. When it was found. Laban's gods were not found at that time because Rachel was sitting on them. And so Rachel lives according to Jacob's proclamation. But flip forward to Genesis 35. Genesis 35, a couple chapters forward. Flip forward to Genesis 35. Genesis 35, and look at verse 2. Then said, Genesis 35, 2, Then said Jacob unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away 
the strange gods that are among you and be clean. Change your garments, okay. This is a boiling point. Something happened. We don't know exactly what happened, but Jacob becomes aware that there are strange gods. And he says, put them away. And so they come lining up. Well, here's my gods. Here's my gods. Verse verse 4. Verse 4. Genesis 35, 4. Genesis 35, 4. They gave unto Jacob all their strange gods, all the strange gods, which were in their hand. So they're lining up. And they say, well, okay, here you go. My hand to you. Here's my strange God. Here's this one, this one. Oh, here's Rachel. What do you got, Rachel? You got Laban's gods? Well, I didn't know that. See? That's when they were found. That's when they were found. At that point, Rachel gives up Laban's gods to Jacob. Jacob understands. Rachel has stolen Laban's God. Rachel that was found at that point. And see, important at this point is that Laban's gods are found. And they are found in that Rachel took them. And then they come to Bethel. And then they set off from Bethel before they reach their next destination. Look at verse 16 in that chapter. Genesis 35, 16. Before they reach their next destination. And they journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have the son also. Came to pass as her soul was in departing. For she died. See? When she was buried there. So before they find out, it's found, Rachel has taken Laban's God. And before they reach the next destination after this, Rachel dies. A fulfillment of Jacob's proclamation of Genesis 31, 32, with whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Now, after the search was made, go back now to Genesis 31. So after the search was made and Laban has not found his gods, Jacob, in verse 36, he just lets loose. He lets loose. And when he says, Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban, and the Jacob answered and said to Laban, what's my trespass, what's my sin, that thou so hotly pursued after me? Okay, here's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. This is the wonderful thing about the Word of God. It portrays the complete picture of the person. Not just the good, but the complete picture. And the most striking example we have of this is in Matthew 16, 16, Matthew 16, 16, where we're talking about Peter, and it says, Simon Peter answers and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Boy, Peter's really said the right thing for a change. And he has just got this tremendous honor. And this, what's been said about him is unbelievable. And the next verse says, Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that Jesus was the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter, same old Peter, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but things that be of men. See, Peter makes this great confession of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
on which the Lord says the church will be built. That was so good. And the Lord proceeds to explain how he is God, is going to suffer and die at the hands of the chief priests and the elders and be resurrected. And Peter, after having made the great statement of the deity and the messiahship of the Lord, then he next tells the Lord he should not do this. He should not suffer. He should not die. And then the Lord tells Peter, Satan has just used him to speak. How could Peter go from being a saint to a devil? (laughs) But that's the wonderful part about the Bible. That's the wonderful part about the Bible. It portrays the whole picture. And that is for a purpose. Because some things we should imitate, some things we should not imitate. We should imitate Peter as a saint. We should not imitate Peter as the devil. And we can have very good high times. I don't mean high in the drinking sense, but I mean high in the wonderful sense, which we obey God, we do the right thing, and next we can fall just immediately to a very low place in which we do the wrong thing. And that's what we see here with Jacob. We've just seen how Jacob made two wonderful replies to Laban in verses 31 and 32. Verse 31, we already saw, he reflected this beautiful openness, this honesty. In verse 32, we see Jacob reflecting this beautiful, good conscience. Now, it just would have been better for us if we didn't have a verse 16, where it says, and Jacob was wroth and chose with Laban. Because here we read that Jacob got hot, hot under the collar, where the Hebrew word is hara, hara, which means to blaze up. And Jacob, is where we're reading it is Jacob is just blazed up and he goes into the wrestling ring, chode, with Laban. See, verses 31 and 32 are written for us to imitate because they teach us here, be honest, have a good conscience. But we cannot justify Jacob for losing his temper in verses 36 through 43, and they're not written for us to imitate. They're written for us to not imitate. It would be far better for Jacob if he would have held his temper, but he lost his cool. He literally lost his cool. He was blazing hot. Now Jacob says in verse 37, where hast thou hast searched all my stuff? What hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here, etc. See, there's one word in verse 37 that Jacob uses that really shows how Jacob felt toward Laban. And it's the word searched. It's very interesting. Because the Hebrew word that Jacob used here is not the normal word for search. It's the word mashash, and it means to feel with your hand. It means to grope. It's what the Syrian refugee men recently did to the hundred German women who were leaving the German train stations. They sexually groped them, and that's the word here. And when Jacob's mother had proposed to the smooth-skinned Jacob, that he should go to his father, Isaac, and impersonate himself himself as the hairy-skinned Esau. Jacob used that word, mashash. And he said in Genesis 27, 12, my father, peradventure, will feel me, mashash, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, not a blessing. So what Jacob was saying to Laban in verse 37, Laban, you have mashashed. You have searched, you have searched all my stuff. You have felt all my stuff. You have groped all my stuff. See, Jacob felt violated by Laban 
As Jacob went on to say in verse 37, clarify that Jacob had growth all of his household stuff. So Jacob was saying that Laban, that when Laban felt all through Jacob's personal stuff, that that was a perfect picture of the way Laban had been treating Jacob for the past 20 years. Laban has been treated Jacob with total tyranny, total disrespect for Jacob's person. Therefore, Jacob starts in verse 38 with, these, with his these 20 years speech. These 20 years speech. And as Jacob is describing all that Laban did to Jacob during those 20 years and what Laban had, he's really talking about what he did. He's talking about what Jacob did. He says, look, I didn't eat any of the, your flock. I personally restored any losses to your flock, whether it was destroyed by wild animals or stolen. And he says, I was with your flock, even though it meant I was exposed to hot, blazing summer sun and exposed to freezing desert nights. And there's one word that tells us why he did all this that Jacob used to make it very clear. He didn't do these things because Jacob wanted to. It wasn't Jacob's idea. You know, he wasn't trying to be such a good worker. But in verse 39, it's the word required, required. See, Jacob is saying here, he did all these things for Laban because Laban required Jacob to do it all. In other words, Jacob was saying to Laban, Laban, you set all the rules, and that's how we started off from the time I arrived here, and then you just had one change in the rules after another, but that whatever you wanted to do. Laban, you set the rules that I only had to work seven years for Rachel, and then without telling anyone, you changed the rules to be 14 years. And all this unfair, secret, dishonest, rule-changing that Jacob summed up when his statement in verse 41, thou hast changed my wages 10 times. Now, Jacob sees, and he says, that the only reason that Laban was not successful in stripping Jacob of his wives, his children, and his goods, and sending him away with a packed lunch, empty, after 20 years, was because of verse 42. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the God of fear of Isaac, had been with me, surely thou send me now away empty. God has seen my affliction, labor in my hands. Now, how does Jacob refer to God in verse 42. How does he call God? Right. God of my father and God of Abraham. That's it. God of my father, the God of Abraham. See, Jacob calls God the God of Isaac, God of Abraham. And that was purposeful because Jacob is making it very clear he doesn't say our God to Laban. He's not calling God Laban's God. By calling God God of my father, God of Abraham, he's making crystal clear God is not Laban's God. Then notice in verse 42 how he then, he goes on to say, God, just God, has seen my affliction. See, with that statement, Jacob is saying, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham is not Laban's God, and the God of Isaac and the God of Abraham is the only God. Because in his second statement, Jacob no longer makes a distinction. He's talking about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, just God, because he's the only God. So in verse 42, Jacob has stated, just, just stated that Laban's God is not the God of Abraham and Isaac and the only God. Now the question is, at this point, does Laban agree? Does Laban agree that the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac is not Laban's God? That's the question. And the answer is in verse 48. 48, 49. Okay. So Laban said, this heap is a witness between... Therefore, the name of it is called Gilead and Mitzpah, for he said, the Lord, Jehovah, 
The Lord watched between me and thee when we were absent. So in these verses, we see Laban use the name of Jehovah and call on the name of Jehovah. That sounds good. Maybe good old Laban has the God of Abraham and Isaac as his God. And we meet many people who use the name of God, God, Lord, God. And on the surface, it appears as though, it appears as though our Lord Jesus Christ is their God. But the more Laban talked, the more it became clear that who Laban was calling Jehovah is not the same as who Jacob is calling Jehovah. And that can be seen in verse 51. Verse 51, Laban said to Jacob, Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and me, the heap, heap is a pill, witness, the pillar is a witness. I'll not pass over this heap, you will not pass over this heap to me nor for harm. Remember now, Laban is speaking. Now watch what he says in verse 53. The God of Abraham, isn't that who you just talked about, Isaac? The God of Nahor, who? The God of their father, that'd be Terah, who? Just betwixt us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. See, in verse 53, Laban has just called Jehovah the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father, which was Terah. Laban has just called Jehovah the God of Abraham. That puts in our mind that he is talking about Jehovah. But then he goes on to call Jehovah the God of Nahor. Nahor was Abraham's brother. There's no indication that Nahor had Jehovah as his God. As a matter of fact, Nahor separated himself. They separated from Abraham. And then Laban calls Jehovah the God of their father. That'd be Terah. That'd be the idol maker who kept Abraham back from moving into Canaan and, and seems to have been that only after he gets out of the picture by death that Abraham then moves into Canaan. Laban was saying, this is all the same God, Abraham, don't you know? Abraham's God, Isaac's God, uh, Nahor's God, Terah's God, all the same person. And that makes Laban the founder of the ecumenical movement. <laughs> we find Laban's all around us who said, yes, there's only one God, but everyone's God is the same only one God. They just worship him in different ways. That's not true. And the person who makes this crystal clear is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we say the Lord Jesus Christ is God, we've made it crystal clear who God specifically is. That's the hallmark of the confession of the church. That's the repentance that's integral and resulting in salvation. And this is seen so clearly in the conversion of Paul. Because in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, Acts 9, 3, as they journey, Paul about Paul, as they journey, he came near to Damascus. Suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He trembling astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city. This is Paul's conversion. This is his conversion experience. And Paul was converted over one question and the answer to that question. And that is in verse 5, Acts 9, 5, Acts 9, 5, Who art thou, Lord? The word Lord is the most important word in his question because Paul was saying, Who are you, God? In other words, Paul was saying, Who is God? And that's the question that leads to conversion and salvation. Who is God? And the answer is, in Acts 9.5, Acts 9.5, I am Jesus. So the answer is, Jesus is God. And so when Jesus is confessed as God, as the only Lord God Almighty, that's conversion. 
That's repentance. That results in salvation. That's the hallmark confession of the church. Colossians 2.16, Colossians 2.16. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Savior? No. As ye therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, as you have received him as God. Philippians 2.10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. Romans 14.11. As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue should confess to God. But he doesn't look like God when he's born and placed in an animal feeding trough. And he doesn't look like God as he's having as a baby to be brought into Egypt to not be slaughtered by a Roman ruler. But he doesn't look like God when he's growing up in the slum town of Nazareth. He doesn't look like God when he's not able to walk in the heavily Jewish populated areas because of the death threats. He doesn't look like God as he doesn't have a place to lay his head, doesn't have a house. He doesn't look like God as he's being tortured with skin-tearing beatings. He doesn't look like God as he's receiving the most awful death sentence of being nailed to a cross to slowly bleed to death in sunlight. And he doesn't look like God as he's being buried in a borrowed tomb. But he is God. He's the only Lord God Almighty who came to save us from our sins. And he looks like God when he's raised from the dead on the third day. And he looks like God now as everyone is bowing the knee and confessing to him. And he looks like God as he alone judges every man and where they will spend eternity in only one of two destinations, heaven or hell. And even now in heaven as the Lamb of God, he looks like God. And that's why Paul's question and the answer he received is the pattern for everyone who is saved. Who is God? Jesus is God. Jesus crystallizes the issue of who God is. That's the commission, which we accepted at Israel Restoration Ministries, to bring the simple message to the Jewish people that Jesus is God. From Isaiah 49. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, bring us good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of, of Judah, behold thy God. That's him. To point to the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, behold thy God. You hold your God dying on a cross for your sins. That's your God. It reminds me of the time I was on the airplane. I sat next to this man, big, massive black man, very large, imposing figure. And I just sat, I'd come back on a business trip. Europe, exhausted, just taking my seat there. So, so exhausted. So glad. Finally made it to the seat. I could relax after this. Anyway, I plunked myself down in the seat and I said, oh, praise the Lord, you know? And at that point, this man next to me leans over me, towers over me, leans over me, and he says, and who might that Lord be? <laughs> I was scared. I looked up and said, the Lord Jesus Christ? And he, <laughs> and he broke, you know, his black face and the white teeth, and just broke out this huge white smile, and he says, all right then. <laughs> See, that's the question. Who is God? That's the answer. Jesus is God. Let's spread that message. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, for the life of Jacob, he was weak, but you are strong. And you protected him. And you guided him. And you made it very clear. Jehovah Jesus. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.